0: Welcome to the Fear-Free Childbirth Podcast with author and birth coach Alexia Leachman. Listen to mums share their positive birth stories, birthing experts sharing their wisdom, and Alexia as she shares her tips, tools, and techniques to help you prepare for a fear-free birth. If you have birthing fears you want to clear, Alexia has created a free three-part video series showing you exactly how you can clear your childbirth fears. Head over to www fearfreechildbirth.com and sign up today. And now it's time for the show. Hello and welcome back
1: to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. This is me, your host, Alexia Leachman. Thank you so much for joining me. Now on today's show, I want to help you to make the decision between a hospital birth or a home birth. So if you're at that point in your pregnancy where you need to make a decision between these two, then this is an episode for you. Now, during today's episode, I'm going to be joined by author Sonia Killick. Sonia has written a book called Birth F. Yeah, now F is a naughty word, which I'm not going to say, but she has written a book that is basically there to help you to navigate between the various birth choices that are available to you. And she has completely wrestled with statistics, research, evidence, and all that stuff, and really mapped it out in her book to help you decide between epidurals, natural birth, home birth, hospital birth, and everything in between. And so I thought she would be the perfect person to talk with on the podcast to help you to figure out what's going to be best for you between a home birth and a hospital birth. Now, we have got a jam-packed episode because actually when Sonia and I started recording, we both just completely went crazy and talking about all sorts of birth stuff. And she is completely passionate about birth, as I am. So I'm afraid that during this episode, we do occasionally get a little bit ranty. But I hope that you don't mind because actually it's all to help you to hopefully better understand the various aspects of the decision that is choosing between a hospital and a home birth because it's not an easy one to choose between. There are so many factors to take into consideration. So some of the stuff that we talk about during our chat is, well, what the difference between the two are. But she also shares some brilliant statistics on the level of interventions that you're likely to encounter during hospital births versus home birth, but also how the hospital environment is not conducive to birth and what impact that might have on your birth. So she also shares some considerations that you need to take into account when you're choosing between a hospital or a home birth, but also the need to think about birth holistically when making your birth choices. There's also a little bit in there about insights into how care providers within the hospital environment might be approaching birth and how that's something you need to look at for while you're within the hospital environment and interacting and communicating and basically dealing with some of your care providers in that environment and also we talk about why striving for a natural birth doesn't mean that you actually get it and if you don't get it not to judge yourself for it or not to beat yourself up. Over the back with a great big stick, and indeed not to do that to other women too. So it's a jam packed episode with lots of passion, lots of ranting, but also lots of really great statistics and some great facts. And Sonia has been an absolute superstar because she has also provided a ton of goodies as a free download, as bonus content to this episode. And I'm going to talk more about that later because she's going to talk about some of that during the podcast chat. She's Part of what she gives away is a chapter of her book, or is it three chapters? I can't remember. There's so much that she gives away. And all the goodies that she gives away are going to be available at the podcast show notes that you'll be able to find at fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash Two o two. You see what I've done there with that short URL. It's easy to remember. Season two, episode two. So I've just called it two o two, and I think that might be a pattern that I stick with. You know, next week it'll be two o three. Um, hopefully, I can stick with some sort of consistency with this one. Um, so yeah, you'll be able to get all the download goodies at forward slash two o two. So that is what I'm going to talk about with Sonia. But quickly before I go into all that, just got a couple of things to update you on as you know, I mentioned last week, we've got a Facebook group for the podcast. And this is a great place for you to connect with other pregnant mamas, but also birthing professionals. And also, Sonia is going to be jumping into the Facebook group and taking your questions. We're going to pick a date and I'm going to let people know in the group when that's going to be over the next week or so. So that's another reason to join in the group. Tony Harmon, last week's guest, who's the author of Microbiome and the filmmaker behind Microbirth. She is popping into the Facebook group tomorrow, Friday. If you're listening to this on publication date Thursday, otherwise you've missed it already. Sorry. So yeah, join the Facebook group and you can join in the conversation with the guests on the podcast as well as asking me questions and birthing professionals that have also joined the gang. So do come and join the Facebook group. Um, I think that is. I just wanted to let you know about the Facebook. The other thing that I want to mention as well is Patreon. As you know, this podcast, if you don't know, let me shed a little bit of light. This podcast takes a ton of work and lots of time and I need to spend more time doing stuff on the business that earns me money and this podcast doesn't earn me money and I'm afraid I haven't got a rich man, benefactor man, person, anybody giving me loads of cash to do this podcast and and so I do this and I do, do everything myself, the editing, all the publishing, all the social media stuff, la la la, all the research the booking, the guests, and all that good stuff, and so I'd very much like to get help with the podcast. And so I have started a Patreon page. And if you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon is a crowdfunding platform for content creators like me, like other co- podcast creators, and it allows our listeners are uh, to support the podcast in a way that is that they that they want to help, you know, to help to make it a reality because it's with you know I, I'm going to need um, help to carry on doing the podcast because it takes a lot of time and I really need to think about other aspects of what I do as well so I would love to carry on bringing this podcast to you and carry on bringing you amazing guests and being able to spend the time researching them and also making sure that we we just give you the best podcast to help you on your pregnancy journey. And so that is why I've decided to set up a Patreon account. So if you'd like to support the podcast, become a friend of the show, then just visit the podcast landing page here at fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash podcast and you will see a big banner for the Patreon um, page. You can also just go straight to the Patreon website and just look for my profile which is Alexia L. I would certainly appreciate your support and it would mean that I can continue doing this podcast uh, weekly and not have to sort of trim Seasons down to enable me to get back to other stuff within my business because I have to earn cash and feed two little hungry mouths. So um, yeah, that if you can, if you would like to support the show, then that would be hugely appreciated. Anyway, enough of that. Now I want to hand over to the time that I spoke to Sonia, who is an absolute superstar, who's going to share a lot of her wisdom, a lot of her knowledge, and a lot of that research that she garnered from writing her book that is called Birth. Effia, that we're going to be giving away a ton of goodies for. So here is the chat. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Sonia, and welcome to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Alexia. Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here. Well, we are going to have such a juicy conversation. And I think the thing that's going to be hard for us is to keep on track. Don't you agree? Because there's so much we can talk about. Absolutely. (laughs) So before we start, could you just sort of say a little bit about yourself so that the listeners can kind of understand a little bit more about Sonia and where you're coming from, what you do? Right.
2: So I am a South African author and I've recently released a book called Birth, F-E-A, um which is an honest guide to natural epidural and cesarean choices. The reason I wrote this book is because through my own uh, journey of pregnancy and birth, I became Very aware of the maternity industry and the abuses, quite honestly, of what is going on. Um, As I said, I'm South African. Our cesarean rates in our country are close to 90%. So that is not because of necessity and not because of medical need. It is because of profit and expediency. Um, so as I said, as I journeyed through um, my own pregnancy and met with various doctors and midwives, I became extremely uh, passionate about the subject and realized that not only in South Africa, but globally, there, have, there has got to be a change in childbirth, in the practices, in hospitals, um, but more importantly, in the understanding of women and our our own take on childbirth and how we kind of step so far away from our natural instincts and we're kind of operating from fear and and that needs to change. So, yeah, my goal is to really educate women about the truth about medicated births, to give them information that doctors aren't because they are withholding it. It's in the interest to withhold that information um, because, of course, it keeps them compliant (laughs) and saying yes instead of questioning. And yeah, I'm, as I said, I'm very excited about this book. Um, it is provocative. It is quite controversial. I am saying things that do need to be said, but I think people perhaps don't want to hear. Mm. Um, a lot of questions that I get, in fact, the big, the first question I always get is why did I subtitle it yeah And the reason I did that is because I really want to change the the impression of childbirth in women's minds. You know, we shouldn't be going, oh my goodness, I'm so terrified and i don't know what what to expect and you know it's it's this huge scary unknown experience that mm-hmm. we we approach you know as we as we approach our, our due date and it shouldn't be that it should be yes you know bring, this it, is on. Yeah. bring it on bring <laughs> it absolutely this is a culmination of my life so far and it's 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 mm. intuitively the essence of a woman and and i can do this and i'm going to do it amazingly well and i'm not afraid and whatever may come i'm going to you know, look at look at it head on and do it with joy in my heart, as opposed to fear. Mm.
1: No, I love it. So I, I summed it. up all of that in f yeah. because
2: I don't think there's a better word really.
1: <laughs> no, I totally, I love it. I love it, and I love I love the uh, essence of what you're trying to do. And, and it certainly, I think we're on a very similar path. And mm. and it's all about education. It's all about I think you know women do need to understand a lot more about birth and the pros and cons. So your book that literally sounds like it just takes each of those. Those different birth options and just balances mm. up, you know, the pros and the cons with the facts and the figures just sounds like such mm. a Bible for women who were in during pregnancy to prepare. Mm. So um we're, we're going to be given a free chapter away from the book. Three, so, um, three free chapters. Three free chapters. So yeah. Listen, So, ladies, listen to this. Listen to what Sonia's going to say, because you can get hold of some of her book. It sounds like an absolute Bible for you to read. So now today we are going to focus on the home birth piece, aren't we? Because you're a massive fan of natural childbirth. There's so many reasons why I think we should be striving or women should strive for natural childbirth without making it this huge... um, You know, it's not a bandwagon. It's not a, you know, a philosophical choice. There's so many, there's a lot of evidence to support it. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Why natural childbirth should be the thing that you should be aiming for. And if you don't get it, okay, that's a different story, but at least aim for it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so to kick things off then, Sonia, what are the main differences then between a home birth and a hospital birth? All right. To understand birth, we have to take it out of the
2: medical kind of understanding and framework. Um, In a medical or hospital setting, it's very much on outcome. So at the end of the birth, you know, baby is breathing, mother is fine, great, it was a success. What they don't take into account is the other aspects of childbirth that have kind of been left behind in, you know, a medicated world. And that is the woman or the mom's emotional and spiritual and mental well-being. Without those three factors being okay, it is incredibly difficult to have a home or natural birth in whichever environment, really. Now, those emotional, mental, spiritual factors in a woman are very finely placed uh, during, for her birth hormones. So, of course, the biggest birth hormone being oxytocin. Now, without oxytocin, it is almost impossible to birth without intervention. Mm. And all of interventions, every single one of them, from epidurals to forceps to just the hospital environment in itself, negatively affect oxytocin. And when oxytocin is slowed down or, prohi- or inhibited during a labor, the woman is going to go into distress. And, of course, so is her child. And, of course, that will lead to interventions or emergency caesareans. So if we look at a home birth environment – um, a woman is, all of the factors that a woman needs to feel safe, to feel confident, to feel powerful in her birth, and most importantly, in control of her birth, are in place. Those factors is privacy, um, the ability to eat and drink, because believe it or not, in a hospital, that is limited. Mm. They don't want their, their, and I'm going to call it patients, because that's how they view their their labouring. Yeah moms, they don't want them to eat or drink because they, you know, if she's going to go in for a cesarean, of course, she she can't have uh, fluids or, you know, the nil-per-mouth policy. So we have to look at the environment first and then go down. So a hospital environment, there's no privacy. There's absolutely no privacy. Mm. You know, you you come in into your labor and you've got, for example, three nurses on shift. When their shift ends, they're going home and the new shift is starting. You have no familiarity with them. You have no first-name basis relationship with them. There's no sense of comfort for, them, for the laboring mom. There's no sense of familiarity, and there's absolutely no privacy. You've got doctors and nurses walking in and out of her room. How does that make a woman feel in any way safe? Now, because she doesn't feel safe, her oxytocin slows down. Because oxytocin slows down, distress is picked up, and, of course, the doctors start the interventions. The minute the interventions are started, it's a slippery slope, and uh, the chances of continuing a natural childbirth are almost slim to nothing. Mm. Mm. Um, the other difference, of course, between a home and hospital birth is your caregivers. Now, the caregivers are fundamental to a successful natural birth in any environment. So normally in a home birth, you're surrounded by a private midwife and uh, hopefully a dealer as well, and, of course, family members or partners that you've chosen to support you. So, when a woman is surrounded by people that she knows that she trusts that she can be one hundred percent of self worth during her labor and that 's a very important uh, point because I know for my labor i' mean i don't know about yours Alexia, but I mean, I screamed and I grunted and I cried, and i I was totally naked and I was squatting on the floor you know it was, and I did all of those things because I felt comfortable and safe to do that mm. and those it was those expressions of who I was and that ability to really get into the birth, um, you know, vocally and mentally and spiritually that allowed me to have a successful natural birth. Mm. I could not imagine doing those things in a no. hospital. I no. mean, it's just, it's impossible. So, of course, all of those factors um, affect oxytocin, and oxytocin, factually speaking, on a scientific uh, point of view, governs your labor, and your birth. Mm. So without those factors, they're not going to be there. Mm. Um, I'll give you a little story. Um, I was living about an hour outside of town um, when I was pregnant. So I desperately wanted a home birth, but because it was my first child, and we were an hour out of town, my midwife obviously categorically refused. So I ended up birthing in a hospital, but a wonderful hospital that actually has private birthing rooms. So you basically book a room to yourself. So the only people in my room was myself, my husband, my doula, and my midwife. <clears throat> so not one doctor walked in, not one nurse walked in. I had a double bed. I had my water pool. It was a completely wow. space, which was wonderful.
1: Lovely.
2: But when I, I, I think I, I started lab at about 11 o'clock that night. Um, following instructions, I got in the bath, and I decided that I was already 10 centimeters dilated. I wasn't going anywhere, and everyone needed to come and drive out to where I was. So, So my midwife told my husband, so sorry for you. Get her in the car. You're coming into town.
1: Um, no, so they wouldn't let you stay at home?
2: No, they wouldn't. and no, no, oh. I understand. And that is the thing. You know, midwives, just to step in aside quickly, there is this kind of belief that it's very risky to have a home birth. But, you know, any good midwife, of course, manages that risk. Mm. She looks at the things like how far are you from a hospital? Um, is it your first birth, your second birth, et cetera? So all of these, these factors are taken into consideration when planning a home birth, but we'll get into that. Mm. So when I arrived at the hospital and I was actually examined, I was only two centimeters dilated, which which of course freaked me out. So I thought, what? There's more, you know? Um, and half an hour into my labor at the hospital, I completely lost faith in myself. And I said to my doula, I cannot do this. I want a caesarean. Um, and she spoke to me and she kind of brought me back down and brought me out of my fear. And then it was kind of a 15-minute whoopsie in my, my, my part. And after that, I was fine. My head got in the game and I, of course, had a birth. If I had not had my doula and my midwife around me Mm. and I said those words, I would have been wheeled immediately into theater and I would have been given a cesarean. So that's why I say that your caregivers are critical, critical, critical. And when you are having a planned home birth, you are in charge of who is going to be there and who are going to be your caregivers and who are going Mm. to support you um, and manage, help you manage your birth. Whereas in a hospital, um, obviously, depending on the country you live in, um, you either appointed a gynecologist or an obstetrician um, or, of course, you continue with the one that you've used for years. Mm-hmm. But they're not they might not even be there for the birth. Yeah, you know, yeah. they could be called yeah. away. They could be on leave. I mean, a stand can be, you know, it's such a, a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we need to really educate women about is that, you know, there's this idea that we need to get birth over with as quickly as possible rather than celebrate it. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, a home birth is about celebration. You know, you're being conscious about the birth. You're being conscious about the fact that you're about to become a mother, either for the first, second or third time. You know, you're bringing a new life into the world. It's a very sacred environment and a very conscious one. Whereas in a hospital, unfortunately, it's the complete opposite. It's, you know, how quickly can we get this baby out of this woman and how quickly can we move on to the next one?
1: And can we do it in office hours while everyone's here?
2: Oh, absolutely. I don't actually have those statistics with me at the moment, but, you know, they've actually done studies about that. And hospital births are, <laughs> are, are, happen, even if it's a natural, and I'm saying that in inverted commas, um, between Monday to Friday, 8 to 5. Uh, whereas home births most often happen in the evening on weekends. No. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, when yeah. a labor starts naturally without intervention and without, you know, hospital timetables,
1: yeah.
2: um, you know, nature is wise. You yeah. know, women normally go into labor kind of in their late afternoon, evening, mm-hmm. so that it is, you know, kind of mimicking that cave environment where we, where we stem from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So nature ensures that we have that privacy. Mm-hmm. We have that quiet space where we can birth in safety and... Um, and in love
1: really and that's like you just mentioned the word love when you think about you know the energy that that uh that births your baby is the energy that created your baby so you think about mm. what environment you would choose to create the baby you know to have mm. this wild abandoned sex session that's mm. going to be full of intensity that's going to be primal that's going to have everything there that you know is your ideal moment with your partner would you book yourself into a hospital for a romantic weekend? No, you wouldn't, because it's awful. The beds are horrible. The bedding's horrible. The food's horrible. The lighting's terrible. You know, the service is terrible. Like, why would you do that? Why would you go to hospital to birth your baby? Because you wouldn't go there to create your baby. So, for me, that's that's like a very simple way to say, "Hang on a minute, yeah." And no, this is definitely not the right environment for me to birth my baby.
2: Absolutely. I could not have said it. In fact, in my book, I have a very similar analogy about oxytocin. You know, you wouldn't have sex <laughs> in front of everyone. Yeah, no,
1: with the, the lights you, on. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, exactly. Why would you burst in front of a whole bunch of strangers, you know? But of course, it boils down to, and this is what we keep coming back to, it's about the mindset and the culture that we've, that women have been, have been led to believe right now. Mm. Um, and it's a couple of, of factors about that. But as you say, number one, it's the sacredness and love versus, let's get this over with as quickly as possible. Um, It's the can woman birth without, sorry to say it's of sexist, but without a man's intervention, Mm. and which of course we can, (laughs) Um, and do hospitals have better outcomes than home births, and they actually don't, and that's… Yeah, that's those are the, the factual statistics. And there have been studies after studies after studies to support that. Um, in 2014, this is obviously in the United States, um, in 2014 they did a study of how many of uh, home home births, hospital births. Out of the women who birthed at home, 10.9% of them had to be transferred to a hospital. So that means 89.1% of home births were successful. Mm. That is a very, very high statistics. Uh, And then we look at the statistics from a hospital birth. Very conservative figure is that 30.2% of babies are born via caesarean. Now, that, as I said, is incredibly conservative because, of course, in in South Africa, it's close to 90%. Okay, to continue, in a hospital, 41% of mothers are induced, 41%. 76% have epidurals. 94% have uh, have, uh, electronic fetal heart monitoring, and we can get into the effects of that. 85% are connected to an IV line, which means they are bed-bound. They are stuck with (laughs) injections in their arms and things strapped to their bodies. 25% have an episiotomy. Um, 57% of moms who had a previous cesarean were not allowed a VBAC, which, of course, is uh, vaginal birth after cesarean. And here's my favorite one. Only 15% of women were allowed to eat during their labor.
1: Oh, I mean, all of those stats just make my blood boil. Is this a prison? <laughs> I mean, allowed to eat? Yeah. You know, how has
2: birth changed so drastically that we have, you know, the humanity of birth has been stripped away in a hospital? mm and it's not to say and I, I want to really stress this it's not to say that hospitals are inherently bad and it's not to say that the staff and the doctors and the nurses are bad but their presence in birth is bad mm. because birth is not illness so we are asking people who are 100% dedicated and focused and trained to deal with illness to look after to to handle a natural you know Personous. bodily function yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, this morning I was driving and I was thinking about our upcoming talk, and I was thinking to myself: Please forgive the analogy, but I was thinking, you know, what other natural bodily functions do we have? And of course, it's going to the toilet, having sex, eating, etc. Now, would you book yourself into a, a hospital to go to the toilet? And if you did, what would that look like? You know, can you imagine the repercussions of of what would happen to your mind and your body if you had to if a hospital had to manage? Yeah, (laughs) going to the toilet. But stay with the uh, diabetics. You would be, you know, given a nappy. You would be, you know, you'd be treated like, uh, you know, like a worthless. And this is the thing, you know, birth is not an illness.
1: But when you think about just staying with the toilet analogy, when you think about, you know, a lot of people don't feel comfortable enough doing a number two at work. Or doing a number two in a public toilet because they don't Mm -hmm. feel safe. Their body Mm -hmm. doesn't let go and they can't Mm -hmm. do it. I Mm -hmm. went to, um, I remember I was, I went to a very well-known music festival here in the UK called Glastonbury, which is a five-day music festival where the toilets back in the day used to be notoriously awful,
0: Mm. basically
1: big farmer's troughs in fields that you just, you know, you couldn't bear the thought of going to the toilet. So I think for five days, I just couldn't bear having a number two at the festival. and But surely enough, the minute I got home, I was fine. My body let go. And you're of asking course. a female body to completely let go and feel comfortable to birth her baby, if she can't even have a poo at work, mm-hmm. then how on earth is she going to have a, a, be able to birth her baby successfully and smoothly and comfortably in a hospital environment? You know, that, mm-hmm. to me, again, is sort of says it all. Those, those that kind of the the naturalness of that bodily process, the fact that you're not letting your body go, just kind of puts that into stark... It just highlights the ridiculousness of being in a hospital to birth your baby, I think, when you're healthy you know so
2: Alexia the language we are using you know letting go love all of these things these are all emotive words that we are using Mm. and I think that's where the disconnect happens between a natural birth and Mm. a hospital birth yeah because doctors do not recognize those elements of birth Mm. for them it is purely mechanical mm. you know it is a physiological process the baby either comes out the, the stomach or it comes out the vagina and we will give every drug or, or instrument that we need to give you in order to make that happen faster and easier yeah. um, and that is their viewpoint and as I said previously it's not that they're bad people but that is what they've been trained to do mm. you know we are saying to them don't use your training, don't, don't be a doctor you know um, and it's almost impossible to ask them to do that you know, the, the sad truth is if doctors were to support um, a natural birth, they would be doing nothing. You know, if a woman went into labor and went into a hospital and had a completely unassisted, normal, natural childbirth, the doctor would be sitting in the corner twirling his thumbs because he wouldn't have to do anything, would he? So, yeah, so you know, our original kind of topic of discussion and question is about home versus hospital births. and. I don't think it's ever going to be possible for a hospital to fully support a normal process of childbirth.
0: Mm. It's
2: just not in their training. It's not in their design. It's not in their makeup. Um, And I do, you know, getting back to the fear that we were speaking about for women, um, a lot of women are afraid of a home birth. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with media. You know, we think, oh, there's an emergency. You've got three minutes. You know, all of these uh, medical shows, you know, Grey's Mm. Anatomy, they put this idea of, you know, intense time and pressure on everything which, of course, is not the case. You know, there is actually a lot of time, if necessary, to get to a hospital. Um, complications are normally picked up fairly early, mm. either in the pregnancy or during the labor. Um, and there is time to transport to a hospital if necessary. For me, the middle ground is, of course, a birthing center. Mm. You know, let, let women have that kind of security of, of having that medical support on hand, but it cannot, of course, be the focus. You know, so a birthing center where midwives are the are the are the driving kind of caregivers, there is a theatre available. It's not the go-to, um, but if if a complication arises, you know, the women aren't being transferred in a in an ambulance. They're just being wheeled down the mm. <clears throat> down the corridor, of course, which makes it a lot easier. Mm. Um, but it's also what's also very interesting is if you look, you know, it's all based on on mindsets. You know, if we look at, at different cultures around the world, you know, when cultures that 100 percent support home birth and it's the norm for the for women to birth at home like in the netherlands there's no questions there's no stress you know mm. that's just you give birth and there's absolutely no concern or worry about it mm. Mm. um so again it's just getting back to you how do we change the mindset of women and and as we were speaking earlier, it's not going to be through the hospitals. It's not going to be through the doctors. It has got to be driven by women around the world who are standing up and saying, you know what, this is my body. And I do not need a doctor to tell me how to do a natural, intuitive mm.
1: thing that
2: I was actually designed to do, mm. you know. Mm.
1: And talking about fear as well. I mean, when we're talking about fear in childbirth, we're not just talking about the, the birthing woman and her fears. I think when it comes to hospital birth, we're talking about the fears of the the medical staff, the caregivers as well, because a lot of an interesting thing that came out from a conversation I've had with another birthing professional is that birthing professionals tend to um, be people that have got their own inherent fears around birth. And they're fascinated by the subjects. They get drawn to want to work in it. So you've already got a very high proportion of people working, let's say, in midwifery or a gynaecology or whatever that have got this kind of draw to birth as a a concept, as an idea. And that might be because of their own things going on. But also when you think about the hospital environment, those people that work in those environments are seeing the bad end of stuff all the time. So, for example, the anaesthetists might be seeing women coming in for C-sections in a right old state that have had a very complicated birth. And that's the only view of birth they tend to see day in, day out. And so they have these fears around birth. They can see how bad it can be, but they don't see... The good side the normal natural side of it and so within that environment of course they're going to be fearful that it could all go wrong because that's the only bit that they see they don't see enough of the good stuff and certainly when I've had conversations with some of the caregivers that you typically find within a hospital environment a lot of them are so when they see a natural home birth video on YouTube for example they're like wow I didn't know it could be like that And it's like, no, because they're just not educated in that way. They don't understand that that's how birth can be. They just see this very narrow view of birth. But unfortunately, that narrow view perpetuates and they kind of create more of it because that's all they know. And so by putting yourself over or handing yourself over to that environment, you're kind of handing yourself over to a a very likely particular outcome because the people looking after you only have a narrow view of how it could possibly go anyway. They don't understand the broader way that it could that could turn out. And you've got some midwives. I was at a midwifery conference recently, and a lot of midwives feel so frustrated that within a maternity unit, in the UK particularly, that when it's, you know, the delivery suite that's high volume, lots of drama, lots of people's shifts changing, people with too much work, too much stress, that they have to go a certain route and they get carried away with a certain level of care or lack of care. And they'd much rather treat their patients, I don't want to use that word, but, you know, birthing mums, in a different way but they simply can't because the system's just not set up for it and so by choosing to go within that hospital environment you're kind of handing yourself over to all the that that, that whole craziness that is these people that are fearful because they see the bad end of it these women midwives that can't support you in the way they'd love to because the system doesn't let them so it, for me unless there's a complication it's like don't even go there don't even go in that environment because. There's just too much stuff going on that's got nothing to do with you and the fact that you're birthing your baby. Do you see what I mean? Oh, such an excellent,
2: excellent point. Absolutely. And I actually covered that in a, in a uh, chapter of my book, is that, you know, as I said previously, when interventions are performed, the body kind of loses its ability to carry on normally. And then it relies on further interventions. So when you do intervene in birth, interventions now become necessary. And as you were saying, that kind of perpetuates the idea that interventions were necessary in the first place. Mm. You know, um, So doctors do believe they are saving the day. They do believe that what they're doing is necessary because, as you've said, they're caught up in that um, way of birthing and there is no alternative. And you know what I would love to see? Uh, you know, how many obstetricians and gynecologists have ever actually seen during their training, have they ever seen a normal, beautiful home birth? Mm. I guarantee you they haven't. Mm. You know, they're learning the mechanics. They're learning the, the skills, you know, how to do an episiotomy, how to, you know, do a caesarean. They're learning the skills, sure. But they have not learned, um, as you say, the other side of birth. They haven't learned about a woman's innate ability. They haven't learned about um, how she can perform when she is left alone and in peace. They haven't seen any of that something quite interesting for you uh john whitridge williams that was a bit of a tongue twister uh he started uh the john hopkins hospital in 1912 now he started this personal rampage against midwives and he he kind of lobbied to outlaw midwives and take the power of midwives into male obstetricians hands because he couldn't believe that a you know, so to speak, medically untrained woman would be able to assist in childbirth. Of course, only a medically trained doctor would be able to. Um, And what's very interesting is he did a four-year course in obstetrics. And then after the end of the course, he got uh, some feedback. Now, the professor who was teaching the course, okay, he was teaching this four-year course, had never seen a live birth. Wow. Now, this is what modern medicine is based on. This is what modern maternity care is based on. Um, and it's it's just moved so far, and you know what? We have to be grateful. There are certain times and complications and emergencies when we need those interventions, and yeah. for that we have to be grateful. Mm. But now that we know how to do it, I mean, I don't think we can improve in any other way. A cesarean is a cesarean, and epidural is an epidural. I can't see us improving any more on those interventions. They now need to step back. Mm. They cannot be center stage anymore. They cannot be the the number one go to. They have to step back and.
1: Mm. Oh Yeah. No, I, I can feel. I can feel a rant. I can feel a rant building in me now, and I don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> but you know, the one thing that kind of really makes me mad is there's so much evidence to support natural birth and to back off and to not use epidurals, to not use intervention. The impact of using intervention. There's another study that's just come out. I was just reading this morning how the impact of birth interventions increases the likelihood of postpartum depression and affects breastfeeding negatively. You know, why would you as a woman do something that is going to make you go anywhere near anything that might be postpartum depression? Why would a doctor encourage you to do something that's going to increase your likelihood of experiencing mental illness? I mean, it just seems so maddening that there's so many of these practices that are done. There's no evidence to support them. And it really does, you know, women are just being bullied, which might sound like a really strong word, but sometimes no, that's how true. I feel. Absolute that true. they're being bullied into this through fear because they just need to fit in with their processes in the hospital environment. And it's not based on evidence. And we know that fear causes a painful, long... There's Mm. another piece of research that came out recently that said fearful women are more likely to have longer labours. And then we also know that fear has... There's a direct correlation between fear and pain in labour. So basically, when you put fear in the equation, you're making labour last longer. It's going to be more difficult, more traumatic... Uh, more likely to have even interventions. the then you have interventions that mean you're more likely to experience mental uh, difficulties after birth. The baby's not going to latch on as well. You're not going to be able to breastfeed as much. I mean, all this stuff, it just, you know, if they look at it in the cold light of day today, they'd be like, hey, get this thing out of hospital. What the hell are you doing, guys? You know, and and yet it's still carrying on the... It seems staggering that, you know, we're often encouraged to, you know, listen to what the scientists have got to say. Well, you know, listen to the evidence. And yet here is a classic example where all of that is not being considered one iota. I think I better back down now, I back down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you just reminded me of something I wanted to say earlier when you were speaking earlier. you saying earlier about, you know, doctors only seeing um, a certain type of, of birth and that's kind of what they're primed to expect and it's what they're primed to, to respond to. Um, another thing we need to also look at is the, is the concept of male practice. You know, doctors are also terrified and there's been a lot of uh, kind of quotes that I've read during my own research of doctors saying, you know, we're doing the best we can we cannot risk allowing a woman to labor naturally without our kind of assistance and intervention. And then it results in an injury or death for mother or child. We cannot risk that. So doctors do not trust in a woman's ability to to birth um, naturally without assistance, but they do trust their own skills. Of course they do. You know, they study for seven years. They've been doing it for X amount of years. They trust their own skills. So to them, it is justified you know, what you were saying now about why would a woman choose to take the risks of um, a prolonged labor um, postnatal depression, not being able to breastfeed properly? Why, you know, to them, that is a small price to pay for a good outcome. And to them, a good outcome, of course, is a safe mother and child. Um, so I think I think a lot of hospitals and policies and doctors individually, I think they're way at those risks. And they think, well, you know, it's not my problem. My job is to get that baby safely out of the womb in whichever way I can and to make sure, you know, he or she is breathing. And that's it. My job is done.
1: Yeah, Um, that's how they're being measured, isn't it? It, it, That doctor's being measured on having a baby that's born that's alive. As long as the baby's alive and the mother's alive, there's a big tick in their box. They're not being measured on what the mental state of the mum is later, whether the breastfeeding happens successfully, whether that child has been traumatised because of the difficult birth they had or the mother. None of that is being measured for that doctor. So they don't they really don't give two hoots. But Mm -hmm. actually, we need to take a more holistic approach to childbirth and make sure that all of those pieces are being looked at, because if they're not, you know, the, the... the thing that really kind of, I think, that, that motivates me and the reason that I'm doing this podcast is because, for me, if you can help a woman have that amazing birth experience, that positive birth experience that she thinks of fondly every time her child has a birthday, because if that experience doesn't go well, she's reminded of it every year until she dies. And that's a pretty hardcore thing to have to relive on an annual basis and every time you see your child. You, 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 who would want to kind of... You don't want to do that. You know, I've been through difficult moments in life that, are, you know, that kind of come into. You, you're reminded of quite starkly at times like Christmas and, and birthdays and things like that. And that emotional pain is, is you know, I really did. I really wanted to avoid that for myself when it came to birth and stuff. So I really prepared for birth to try and avoid any of that on a, on a, on a you know, for myself. But that's why we need to help women around that moment, because <clears throat> by helping a woman have a great birth or a positive experience, you're not only helping her, you're helping us, the child, you're helping the family unit, you're helping breastfeeding, which means, you know, there's so much evidence about the, benefits of breastfeeding for the health of the child for, on so you know on so many levels I mean we could talk about the evidence all day but helping a mother in the birth it just seems to have such a ripple effect through the rest of society without wanting to sound like it's too big a concept to be talking about but you can help so much in the world today by focusing on that one moment in that woman's life and that's what we should be thinking—making that experience as positive as possible. Not just making sure that both their hearts are beating at the end of the process. You know, that just seems such a narrow view to take for such an important event in lots of people's lives.
2: Absolutely, and I think you know when you're bringing up postnatal depression, and I think the not only postnatal depression but the entire subject—women do not speak about it. Mm. You know, it's taboo debu- to admit that you've had postnatal, post-natal depression. It's taboo debu- to um, to to say that you had a poor birth experience, to admit it, to even probably admit it to yourself. So, again, you know, this whole mechanized um, maternity industry that's happened has has followed through to after the birth as well. Um, And women are not, you know, as I said, I have a lot of cesarean moms, and I know it's it's a very touchy subject, you know, women who've had an elective cesarean or, or a necessary cesarean, they feel very touchy about it. You know, they say, well, I, I still have bonded with my child. I still breastfed. Um, it was still a beautiful experience. And it's very difficult to kind of explain to them. I mean, how would you possibly <laughs> explain normal birth? I mean, it is the most profound, magnificent, totally indescribable experience I have ever had in my entire life. And it did not only change me um, well, let me say that again, it profoundly changed me as a human being. Mm. You know, that experience has followed through into my mothering style, into how I see myself as a human being, as a woman. It had, it does have lasting effects. And the way you birth does affect who you are, as you've just said, for the rest of your life. Um, so in terms of, you know, getting women past their fear of childbirth, we also have to get them past their fear of speaking about how their birth, you know, a poor birth experience affected them. Mm. You know, we need to start standing out about these kind of things. And I think there's a there's a, a small amount of shame um, involved in uh, medicated births. You know, where women feel either, oh, you know, I tried to have a normal birth, I wasn't able to, and ended up having a cesarean, or I, I asked for an epidural. There's a lot of shame around that, you know, mm. um, which there shouldn't be, of course.
0: Mm.
2: We need to start these conversations, and it needs to be open um, and. Mm-hmm in that way we can kind of pull births back from the back out of the mechanics and into the sacred. And I think that is, that needs to be our goal. Um, and as you mentioned the word holistic earlier, and that's what it is. You know, childbirth is holistic. And as you said, it's not only, it doesn't only affect the mom, it affects children. And you said, you know, it, it you know, we can take it all to the big world. And it does, it does affect society as a whole. It mm-hmm. affects cultures as a whole. And I'm even going to take that further and say, I believe it, it affects equality. Mm-hmm. You know, we we'll need to be revered for who we are. And we, you know, we bring life to the world. We mother that life. We, you know, we sacrifice an enormous amount, um, you know, during that mothering process. Mm. And that needs to be something that's revered. But if women are kind of meekly going in a little line, one after the other, into a theater room, that, you know, that is not empowering. That is not
1: mm. uh, recognizing and honoring you know, what we do as women. Well, I was just going to say, just going back to the, um, you know, just the idea of judgment around birth and that, you know, and talking about how some women just don't talk, you know, the idea that if you haven't had the natural birth and the shaming that goes on. And and yeah, I think that's really important because even though we can strive for that, if you don't get it, then there certainly shouldn't be any kind of feeling like you failed or you've not done it. Because, you know, it's like, you know, saying, well, you must eat your five vegetables a day and you must go running, at least, you know, must do at least half an hour of exercise a day and you mustn't smoke, you mustn't drink. you must, da, 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 da da Yes, there's all these things that we can strive for, but nobody is perfect mm-hmm. and nobody can achieve all those things. But just because I see somebody else drinking a glass of wine, I'm not going to judge them for drinking wine, even though we all know that alcohol is really bad for you. If I see somebody putting sugar in their tea and I'm one of them, I'm not going to judge them for putting sugar in their tea, even though we all know that sugar is the next killer that's going, to, that's going to put us all in our graves. So if a woman can't achieve that total natural childbirth experience, then she shouldn't be judged. It's just we are always doing the very best we can in every moment with what we have available to us. And that can be financial resources, but it can also be mental and emotional resources and emotional support around us. And so if we can't achieve what we wanted to, it doesn't matter like be okay with that be okay with that and don't certainly judge other mums or other women for not having what you've done because we're all just trying to do the best we can and you know when I see there's a there's a there's a thing going around on social media at the moment the motherhood challenge on social media which is just Mm, awful it's just awful and again it's bringing this kind of judgment to the fore and getting women to start I don't know it's just an awful thing that's going on and that that kind of behavior needs to stop on every level because that doesn't help. So I certainly don't want people to hear what we're talking about going, oh, well, they're just you know flying the natural birth flag. No, sure, we can support it and, and encourage you and give you the um, information so that you can make a decision. But you know what? If complications arise, if you're struggling during birth and your labor's been going on for days and you just want a bit of pain relief because that's what's best for you in that moment to help you get through, then so then just take the pain relief. It doesn't matter. You've got to feel good about what you're doing and not guilty because there's going to be so much guilt thrown at mums during the mothering journey that you just don't need to be adding your own guilt to the mix, you know, especially from your own birth experience, you know? Mm, absolutely. And you said doing the best we can.
2: That is key. And, you know, what we're talking about, hospital versus home birth, I think to support doing the best that we can, we need to ensure that our environment is supportive and not destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is the key thing. You know, if you truly want to, to give it a shot and to have a natural birth, you know, you've got to be very proactive in how that is going to happen. And as we've you know spoken about, unfortunately, your chances are minimal when you're in a hospital environment. Um, whereas, if you're in a home environment supported by the correct caregivers, of course, your chances are vastly increased. Mm. Um, so it's about giving yourself and honoring yourself enough to give yourself that support and to say, you know, I am going to. Um, say no to that doctor, even though he's going to, you know, give me a lecture from, from hell. And I'm going to say no to my, my mother-in-law and my husband and all, you know, my friends. And this is the choice that I'm going to make because it feels right for me. Um, and then, you know, you've, you've set up the environment. You've done your preparation. You've set up your caregivers. And then, as you say, you know, something happens, you know, every birth is unique. You know, then, of course, as you said, you, you move on from there and you make the choices that you have to. But I think what we're saying today is, that in a hospital environment, those choices are made for you. Mm. Um, And that that is the situation that we need to take away, Mm. um, that we need to stop. Mm. Another point I wanted to bring up in terms of, um, you know, that your birth affects, you know, past the actual birth itself is postnatal care. And that is also a huge difference. You know, when we're also talking about postnatal depression, Uh, You know, postnatal depression comes in two forms. You have an actual chemical imbalance uh, where your hormones have just gone ballistic and they obviously affect you very negatively. And then something that I like to call situational depression. Um, And I actually went through that myself. You know, women are not meant to be alone. Certainly not when we have just had a baby. And in our kind of modern day lives, you know, your your partner's home with you for four or five days and your family and your friends and they come to visit, yay, and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. And then you are home alone with a newborn baby you know, 24-7, and that can be very, very difficult. You know, add in sleep deprivation, your hormones, everything else, and, of course, it's a recipe for, for difficulty. It may not reach full-blown uh, depression, but it, it's a very difficult time. Um, I know a lot of moms say the first year is, <laughs> you just got to get through the first year of, of being a mother. And, and
1: <laughs> okay. It's a and a longer than that, to <laughs> late, until they <I> leave home. <laughs> but, you know, in a
2: home environment, I know, you know, in, in, in our country, you kind of see your, your gynecologist the next morning after your birth in hospital, and then you'll see them six weeks after that when you have to get in the car and you have to drive to the offices and sit in the waiting room for two hours. And that's kind of the sum total of postnatal care. Uh, whereas with a midwife and uh, in a home birth environment, that, that care, and I really want to stress that word care, continues after the birth. You know, my midwife came to my house seven days after the birth, every single day, assisted me, assisted my baba, you know, continued helping me with breastfeeding, et cetera, et cetera. And that is true care and that is true support. And that is continuing that uh, holistic view of the woman, the child, and the whole process of childbirth. Um, And as we were saying, just to continue what we were saying earlier about kind of, you know, in a hospital environment, the doctors, once the baby's born and breathing, that's it. his job is done. He doesn't particularly care Mm. about postnatal depression. And he doesn't particularly care about, you know, fights with your husband or what you, you know, going through is transitioning into a mother or breastfeeding.
1: I don't want to, I don't want us to sound like we're really having a go at the doctors, bless them, because we're not. It's the system, really. It's the system rather than the people within that system that is, is just doesn't support. And that's, I think, what we're both trying to bring about changing is, is just to, Bring about a system that does support mums. And and that's going to happen from mum being educated and claiming those rights rather than waiting for them to be given to her because they're not going to be given to them. Everybody's doing things based on their own agenda. And it's very, the, the, the caregivers are not there for your agenda. They're there for their agenda and what they're being measured on. That means that they're going to get paid at the end of every month. That's what they care about. More than anything, I know that when I had, I was in my second pregnancy and I was overdue, and I was just told, well, at 39 weeks you're going to have to come in for an induction, and I was like, well, that ain't happening. But I'll come and see you, hear what you've got to say, and I went in, and she started citing lots of research at me, which I knew exactly the research she was referring to, which was, so I threw it back at her, said, well, that's a very old piece of research, and that's not relevant anymore because of all the factors that have now changed environmentally within the hospital environment. And that completely took the wind out of her sails. And so she pushed my induction back by three weeks. So from 39 to 42 weeks, just like that. But the next meeting, they, they clearly made some notes on my file. Like this one is a tricky one. So the next meeting, <laughs> I had a nice two one. consultants, much more experienced. And one of them had a whole list of all the evidence research that she was going to start citing. And she was basically arguing with me and being incredibly patronizing and incredibly fearful with her language to bully me into agreeing for an induction. And if I'd not been prepared with my own evidence, we literally had iPads at dawn saying, well, my evidence says this, show me your evidence, because I wouldn't listen to it. But if I hadn't been prepared for that, I would have just been reeled in on that day for my induction. And those are the tactics I had to deal with. We shouldn't have to deal with that you know we shouldn't have to be fighting for our right to let our body do what it what can do anyway that's the thing that kind of riles me in case you've not noticed it in my voice is that's that you, you know stop. we shouldn't have to fight for this we should be allowed to allow our bodies to do this you know
2: you know you're saying about the
1: induction you know,
2: exactly what we're saying. The doctors aren't necessarily bad people, but they are, you know, they're almost like they, they're they almost pushing their fear onto us. Yeah. You know, they are fearful that if you do wait the pregnancy out, something may happen. So they, they're pushing their fear onto us because they are, you know, afraid of a possible negative outcome,
1: mm.
2: not taking into account. I mean, but as a matter of interest, did they just um, suggest the due date, You're sorry, your induction based on due date, or did they actually do an ultrasound and check your placenta and check your amniotic fluid?
1: No, no, this this induction meeting was put in when I was 20 weeks. It was like, oh, well, no, you're an older mum. Therefore, you're high risk. And therefore, we're going to try and induce you at 39 weeks. And I was like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Older mum, I'm going to be... Six weeks after my 40th birthday on my due date. So I'm now this forty birthday, this 40th year is this line that you've made up anyway that makes me high risk. You're not looking at any lifestyle factors. You're not looking at whether I'm overweight, whether I eat badly, whether I've had fat ankles during my thing, whether I had complications. The mm. only thing that made me high risk was my age. Nothing else. Everything else was going fine. So I knew, you know, I smelt a, a rat from the beginning, as it were. And I was like, well, that's no reason to induce. I'm sorry. So I I prepared like crazy for that meeting, Mm. which is why I did a lot of research and a lot, I wanted to understand the risks of being an older mum. Were there risks? And and so I was very well prepared, fortunately. But if I hadn't, I went into that meeting and my podcast listeners will know this already because I've shared this briefly on on another podcast, but I'd just come from having all my midwifery checks. So my blood pressure was okay, My urine was okay, Everything was fine. Bump was okay, Heartbeat was okay. We did a little bit of foetal with a Doppler, you know, just to listen to heart rate. Everything was fine. So I went from there. They handed me over to the consultant and she looked through the notes. She went, oh, yeah, everything's fine now. In the next breath, this is what she said. Well, now, obviously, the last thing is we want is for you to deliver a stillborn baby that would be traumatic for everyone. And I was like, you, you what? How wow. dare you use that language? My baby can hear you. Like, you wouldn't say that. So I was like, how dare you use that kind of language to me? And if I hadn't been better prepared for that meeting, they were prepared to take me right into having an induction there and then in the next room. But I stood my ground and she was literally using fear-based language to kind of bully me into that because of course a mum is going to go, Oh, stillborn. Oh my God. No, 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 I've no, 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 no. Can't risk that. Yes. Whatever you say, doctor. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's what's wrong here is the fact that they're just taking advantage of women that aren't educated to cover their backs and my midwife later told me, she said, they're doing that because they're getting sued a lot by women where births don't go great and then they sue their healthcare providers. So they're basically they're acting as risk managers on a financial level in that moment because they don't want to get sued. And that's the base, That's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with risk managers, not caregivers in some of those meetings. And you need to, as a mother, as a pregnant mother, you need to be aware of the other factors at play when you're dealing with your care providers because it's not. they're not always sitting there with your best interests at heart. And I think that's what we need to get across really. That's why you need to get savvy. You need to educate yourself. You need to know your rights. You need to know when you can decline an induction, know when you can decline monitoring. You don't need any of those things because... They, they're they not always entirely necessary. Of course, big caveat, big caveat, unless there's a complication and unless baby's in distress, unless you're ill, unless you've got stuff going on that's medical anyway. But if you haven't, you don't need a lot of it.
2: Well, this is the thing, you know, they they did not describe an induction to you based on your individual situation. No. They did it because of a textbook. And this is how they are approaching every single birth. They don't look at a woman's, um, you know, health, as you said, her health her lifestyle choices, who? They don't look at the individual holistic woman. Um, and what's also interesting with inductions is the due date. You know, they are wrong, and here's a statistic, 96% of the time they are wrong with due dates.
1: Yeah.
2: But don't, now get me, yeah, get, don't
1: get me going on due dates. <laughs> induction based on
2: that level of inaccurate data.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's fine. I've got a whole episode on due date. So if anybody listening wants to find out more about how you can find out more realistic due date, I'll put a link in the podcast show notes for today's episode, because basically the due date calculation method is based on an idea in the Bible. It's not based on science. And this ninety six percent rate that Sonia's just quoted kind of proves that. So if you want to find out more about that, I'll have a link in the show notes. Now, Sonia, we have just talked about so much today, and I feel that we could rant forever, and it has become a bit ranty. <laughs> but that's okay because we we believe what we do. right? we believe we do. So I just want to try and like wrap this up a little bit, and you know, so for women that are thinking about, you know, okay, I I get the hospital birth is a bad thing. Okay, if I want a home birth, but I'm still slightly worried, and I want the, you know, what how can they make a decision how what can help them to make the decision about okay I'm going to go for home birth? what things do I need to put in place or how can I protect myself uh, or help myself have the most positive experience you know in case things don't go great that I'm not putting myself at risk what things can a a pregnant mama do to help to ease that journey or to to do a home birth that's more likely to be successful for her
2: right number one a good midwife and a good doula those are your two. Those are your bulwarks. Those are your Amazonian women. They are going to impart all of their wisdom. It's going to be unbiased wisdom. Um, they are going to give you uh, medical advice and assessments based on you individually as a as a uh, as in your own individual pregnancy and as yourself as a woman. Number one, absolutely key. Um, and then the next step, of course, is to just begin educating yourself. It is vital that you become confident in your own knowledge of the processes of pregnancy and birth, that you become confident in your own ability to do it. Um, it's also a very conscious kind of journey that you need to commit yourself to. Uh, my, my midwife, I mean, she had us journaling. We had to speak to our mothers about our own births, you know. So it's a very conscious involvement during your pregnancy. Um, I wrote down, I mean, I've still got my, my birth journal. I wrote down, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of in terms of motherhood? What am I afraid of in terms of, um, you know, pregnancy and labor? All of these things, because those need to be released so that they don't come up during your pregnancy. Mm. Because as we've said time and time again, fear inhibits a a quick and and fast labor. Mm. So find yourself a really, really good uh, midwife, a really good dealer. I do suggest you get references. You know, we've kind of... quite a big dig at uh, at your traditional doctor today Um, but not all midwives are created equal there are um, of course better and worse midwives so if you can get references so that you're confident in your choice of caregiver and then begin educating yourself so Tina Cassidy she's an author she's written fantastic books there are amazing books out there of course please read my book as well there are Great resources out there. Try and stay away from the mainstream kind of ones written by obst- <laughs> obstetricians because uh, they just <laughs> they just kind of kind of put all their fear mongering in print, which we don't want. Uh, and then, as I said, it's a journey. It's a beautiful journey of self discovery. You know, the difference between a home birth and a hospital birth. a Hospital birth, you kind of forget about until your date. You know, and, you know, nine months time, you kind of arrive at your prearranged arranged date. Whereas a home birth is a very a uh, self-driven journey. Mm. Uh, so it does require you to take charge of it. It requires you to take charge of yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You have to look at areas in your life that you, you perhaps need to work on or that um, that are bringing you fear or distress or any of those kind of things. Um, and then, of course, educate yourself on the f- actual facts of birth, mm. you know. Mm. Um, What does a normal labor look like? What inhibits labor? What promotes labor? Um, How do we handle the baby afterwards? What does the baby go through? All of these things need to be looked at. Um, And then, of course, you know, in South Africa, I'm sure the same process happens uh, overseas as well. We have a backup hospital. So you're not kind of being a complete hippie and going, oh, everything's going to turn out fine. You are being responsible. So there are kind of practical steps that you need to take. And... A lot of times, midwives do work with uh, gynecologists. Some of them kind of partner with them exclusively. Otherwise, they may suggest a gynecologist, gynecologist that you work with, and that is because if you do end up having a cesarean, the gyne is on call. Mm. So a midwife and a gyne, and I think this is quite an important thing to stress for for moms to be. A midwife and a gynecologist do work together.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, a midwife is one hundred percent trained to handle any kind of complication. The only thing she can 't do is perform a cesarean operation, which of course is why she partners with so you do have your medical backup it 's there if, if it 's necessary it 's there um, but of course, your focus should be on how can you approach this birth from an empowered and loving uh, and educated way. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think when you touched on uh, earlier in that conversation about how complications don't just pop out of the blue, they kind of take time to develop. And, you know, again, mm-hmm. they'll be noticed during your pregnancy and also during labor. You know, one of the things that I took into consideration when I was deciding for my home birth was, you know, I'm not far from a hospital, thank goodness. And so, and I was told that if you are in hospital birthing your baby and a complication does arrive, it takes them at least 15 to 20 minutes to get the theatre ready. So even if you are in hospital, you're not going to be seen straight away. So if you are within a reasonable distance or, you know, you can get to a hospital within half an hour, then you're not putting yourself under any more risk than you were if you were in a hospital environment because they wouldn't be ready for you sooner than that within a hospital anyway. So, you know, thinking about where you are geographically located versus a hospital is, is an mm. important consideration, especially when you think about peak hour traffic and mm. whether or not you'll be able to get to the hospital if, you know, if in, in traffic in, in those conditions. But, you know, complications don't suddenly appear. They take time during birth. So you've always got time to move and get to a hospital if you need to. And I think that's something that a lot of women don't fully appreciate about um, complications in birth.
2: Absolutely. I think to put it in a nutshell, it's plan for the best, uh, hope for the best, plan for the worst, mm. in a nutshell. You know, you've Absolutely. got your plans in place in terms of your backup hospital, but do everything in your power to, of course, do plan. Mm,
1: mm, mm. Now, um, you have provided a ton of goodies for my listeners today, which I am so grateful for, Sonia. So let's just give a little bit of a overview as to all the goodies. We've come up with a beautiful, like a, a Act, like not action-packed, but like absolutely packed download with loads of stuff for people to get. So first of all, we mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, three chapters from your book, which I think just sounds like, the, like women have just got to be reading your book anyway, if they want to feel like they're educated. But also you've come up with some other stuff. Should we just run through the other stuff that you've provided?
2: Absolutely. Well, the first is my birth intervention summary, which I'm incredibly proud of. I have to say it took me about a month to get right. But it's kind of an um, infographic, um, so it's kind of like a quick reference guide where you can see, okay, an epidural does this to the mom, does this to the child. So it's just a kind of an A4 summary that you can obviously keep on your computer or print out. Um, so that's I'm giving away. Um, I've also got your breast milk versus formula nutritional guide. Um, it is the most – I did not do it myself. Um, it was actually a – Um, A wonderful woman in Canada, she did it as her thesis. It is the most (laughs) comprehensive um, list of nutritional um, information you will find in breast milk. I mean, it's it's staggering how many uh, nutrients and vitamins and and hormones and cortisols and everything you can find in there. So that's definitely something to keep in your repertoire next time someone wants to convince you to stop breastfeeding and start giving formula. Uh, I've also got a birth bag checklist. Um, It is designed specifically for a home birth. So you can print that out. Um, it covers everything from bendy straws to buckets. I don't want to freak any moms out and tell you what the <laughs> buckets <are. laughs> uh, But even if you are birthing in a hospital, it's kind of categorized into your, your specific needs.
1: Perfect. And, of course, then, the, yeah, the, the three chapters. Is brilliant. So if you want to get hold of the downloads, then you just need to go to fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash 202. Um, And then you can get hold of that download straight away with all those goodies that Sonia is giving today. Well, Sonia, thank you so much for sharing, for ranting with me, for sharing your expertise and talking about your book. And and basically, you know, just helping women, I hope, understand the home birth versus hospital birth a lot better. Now, if anybody wants to find out more about you, Sonia, where can they find you online? They can uh, visit my
2: website, soniakillick.com. Uh, Killick with the double L, and yeah, you know, follow me in the usual way: social media, Facebook, Twitter, all the rest. Brilliant. And brilliant. as you can tell, of course, just like you, I'm extremely passionate. So I like to get back to everyone who sends you messages and and kind of. <laughs> <laughs> the word
1: brilliant well I'm going to have all those links on the podcast show notes for today's episode so if you just want to find out more about Sonia and of course her book and as if that's not all Sonia is also going to be running a promotion on her book on Amazon for one week only so the week that this podcast is going out so if you're listening to this if you're a regular subscriber of the show then you are going to be able to take advantage of this she's going to be running a promotion just this week on Amazon where you can get the book for 99 cents so is there anything else that you want to share Sonia before you before you go um, I just wanted to say it was wonderful, wonderful,
2: wonderful to chat with you. And I just love this movement that's going on all over the world. And, and I really have a huge amount of respect for moms all over the world. And, and yeah, I would say if, yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: just sign off. <laughs>
0: and
1: Yeah, thank you, Alexia. It's been wonderful. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Sonia chatting on the podcast. And yes, I do admit we did have a few rants and I hope that you don't mind us getting a little bit ranty like that occasionally. Now, I just want to recap what Sonia is giving away because she is giving a ton of really fabulous stuff. So let me just run, run that through you again. She's giving away a guide that compares the nutritional information for breast milk versus formula. So that you can really make a decision on that from an informed perspective. She's also giving away a birth bag checklist. And she's also got this fantastic diagram that's a summary of the birth interventions and their impact on the mother and the baby. So she's giving away all those things. All you need to do is go to fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash 202, which is the short link for today's podcast episode. And there you'll find all the show notes and a bright yellow banner that says Sonia's birth preparation resources. Download it today. So you can't miss it. You really can't miss it. And right below that, there is also a link so that you can get hold of three free chapters from her book, Birth, F yeah. So yeah, loads of stuff that Sonia's giving away. And also, as if that isn't enough, Sonia is going to be coming into the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group to answer questions next Tuesday. So what you need to do is just Join the community, join the Fear Free Childbirth community. If you haven't joined already, then just come to the website. The minute you sign up, you will get an invite to join the Facebook group and then you'll be in there. You can ask Sonia a ton of questions. We've got Tony Harmon in the group tomorrow answering questions all about the microbiome. She was on the show last week. She's the author and filmmaker behind the film Microbirth and the book Microbiome. So she's going to be in the Facebook group tomorrow at 2 p.m., gmt taking your questions and then we're going to have sonia in the group next week so there's lots going on in the group we've got some fabulous birth professionals in the group helping people answer questions and of course we're going to have these fabulous guests also taking your questions so i hope that you will come and find us in the fear-free childbirth facebook group i hope you've enjoyed today's show and i'll see you guys next week bye for now
0: Thanks for tuning in. You've just been listening to author and birth coach Alexia Leachman from the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like to show your support for Alexia and the podcast, you can become a friend of the show and receive even more exclusive content. Visit www.fearfreechildbirth.com and become a friend today. Until next time.